Good morning, Light City, and happy Resurrection Sunday. I gotta say that I'm so thankful for technology and that we can gather together as one church in many locations to celebrate our King Jesus and his triumphant victory over death and the cross. I trust you love service today as much as I have, and I wanna say a huge thank you to our many teams and volunteers who made this day possible. Let's just give them a quick little silent round of applause. Now for my part today, I want to jump into the Word of God from Matthew chapter 16, and I want to share an encounter that Peter had with Jesus while Jesus was still living. And it's going to kind of be a This Is Us, Jack Pearson flashback effect on the Word of God for us to see something that Jesus said while he was still on earth in bodily form that still echoes with implications for our lives today. I want to look at the scripture and it's just a conversation that Peter had with Jesus, beginning in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. It says this, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, because, as we all know, he always had something to say. He was that guy. He was that dude. And a lot of the time, everybody in the room benefited from his ignorance because Jesus would correct him. And none of them had to ask the embarrassing questions. They didn't have to ask the silly questions. You know, he was that kid in class who always raised his hand. And the teacher's like, what? What is it, Peter? And so Peter, in this passage, raises his hands. But this time, he gets it right. Because he doesn't identify Jesus on the basis of miracles or the mechanics or the cosmetics, but he sees the potential Jesus has, and only the Spirit of God could have showed him this. In fact, when he said it, he was so right that Jesus knew that's not you talking. That's not the part that comes from the head and from the mind that tries to figure everything out. And when he said this in verse 16, you are the Messiah or you are the Christ, depending on the translation. He identified Jesus at a deeper level. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he orders his disciples, keep your mouth shut and don't tell anyone what I just told you. And from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. And on the third day, he'd be raised to life. So Heavenly Father, this morning, we ask for your presence in each of our homes. Lord, one church, but many locations. God, one body, but many parts. We ask that your presence would fill our homes this morning as we celebrate the triumphant resurrection of our King Jesus. Jesus, we're so thankful for everything you did for us on the cross. We love you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I probably shouldn't tell you this um, because it's Easter, because you probably sent this link to your grandma, uh, but you can't see them, but I have tattoos. Uh, and I didn't get them before I became a Christian. But I feel good about it because they're biblical tattoos. I mean, one of them is actually in Hebrew, so you know of all tattoos, that one's obviously okay. The other one is Jesus on my ribs. I actually can't remember which side of my ribs here. Uh, but when I went to get the Jesus tattoo, 
it was on a crazy painful spot and it was terrible. Okay, it hurt so bad when I got it. I mean, at least I think that it does. I've been told that I have a very low pain tolerance. Uh, and when he, you know, finished his tattoo, this was a few years ago, uh, the guy that tattooed me, you know, he had so many tattoos. You know, he had sleeves, tattoos on his neck. And so I feel so un unmanly about how much this tattoo had just hurt. And he said, oh no, you see the place that you got it was one of the most painful places that you can get a tattoo. So immediately my next question was, why didn't you tell me that before I got the tattoo? And he said something that was so hurtful, but also profound. He said, because I knew that you wouldn't go through with it. And sometimes I wonder if the reason why Jesus waited until this point in his ministry to really start explaining to his disciples what it was going to look like to follow him was because he knew that if they really knew what it meant to follow him, they wouldn't go through it. And I've wondered before if God sometimes in our lives doesn't work in stages, only showing us what we can handle at that point in time because of his infinite wisdom. You know, there's a real tendency for us in this passage to judge Peter. Because Jesus proclaimed, you know, to his disciples that he was going to go to the cross and this was the first time they had heard him talk like that. Up until this point, they'd heard him say things like, be healed, or they heard him say things like, bring me the bread. And they had watched him do things like multiply it or cause something that was lame to walk. And as much as we give credit to Jesus for seeing the potential in Peter, I think we should take a moment to recognize that it took faith for Peter to see the potential in Jesus. He understood at a deeper level there was something about this miracle worker that was unlike the others who had performed miracles. There was something about this prophet. His words had a different authority. He was different than the teachers of the law. There was something about the way that he moved, about the way that he spoke, about the way that he prayed, about the way that he lived, about the way that he led. And these things drew Peter to believe that this is the one. And he believed it. You know, not in the kind of way that people say, you know, I believe in you, because honestly, it means very little for you to say that if you're not invested in someone's potential. So it's a different thing in this passage when you see that Peter lets Jesus use his boat, that Peter had actually been put in an awkward situation. He was out fishing one day and Jesus got into the boat and he took off in it and Peter pushed him out and was willing to let him use his boat, which represented his livelihood. And it's unique to me that Peter saw Jesus as the one who had the potential to change everything. And in the same way, Jesus saw Peter in a kind of potential that probably no one else saw. There's a reason, I know this, because Jesus calls Peter a rock while Peter was still very unstable. And it seemed as if he was judging Peter, not according to his performance, but according to his potential. You know what's funny? If I held your phone right now, like I could be holding Amy's phone right now, she's actually right behind me, I couldn't use it to its full capacity because I don't know what's in it the way that she does. I don't understand all the contacts. I mean, I could have a lot of fun. I could send some really awkward text messages that would create weeks and weeks of interesting conversations if I had her phone for 10 minutes. But it's true that the one who possesses the thing has an intimate knowledge of its potential, and it's unique to the one who possesses it. And in the same way, I believe that God knows about your potential, something that your mother doesn't know, that your father doesn't know, that your best friend doesn't know. I believe God knows things about your potential that even in your greatest moments of triumph, you can only imagine. And I believe he speaks to your life from time to time, not from the vantage point of your performance, 
but from the vantage point of your potential. I mean, how many of you are grateful on this Easter morning that God sees your potential when other people want to hold you down to the level of your past? When other people want to hold you down to the level of your worst moment? So he calls him a rock, even though Peter at this point is very unstable. And we know he's unstable because, you know, he just got his gold star for correctly identifying Jesus as the son of the living God. And no sooner does he say this, say who Jesus is correctly, than he makes a move that's significantly above his pay grade. I want to show you this in verse 22 because it's almost hard to believe that he could go from so high to so low in a matter of a moment. From so faith-filled and so accurate in his assessment of Jesus to making a statement that completely contradicted the purpose of God. And it might give you hope because some of you watching right now have vacillated, even this morning, in the amount of faith that you have. I mean, you were a different person when you went to bed last night than you were after Mike and Jess sang those wonderful worship songs. I've seen from moment to moment, many of us who have the greatest potential for power and purpose also have the greatest potential for pain and failure. And Peter demonstrates it in the text right after he hears the explanation from Jesus about what's about to happen. The Bible says that he takes Jesus aside and in verse 22, he begins to rebuke him. Now, I need to tell you this, but it's always a bad idea for, TV, for you to explain to the God of the universe how his plan isn't correct because it doesn't conform to your current agenda. And watch what he says next. And this is what I want to preach to you about this morning. This is the giant. He said, never, Lord, never will this happen to you. This is the giant I want to talk about this morning. The giant that Jesus faced on the hill of Golgotha. The giant as his closest friends betray him. The giant as he spent three days in the grave. The giant, this giant called never. And this is the giant that in our most vulnerable moments reminds us that this has never happened before. Never has anyone raised themselves from the, dead, from the dead ever. Never has anyone been able to be the sacrifice for all sin. You'll never be able to defeat death. You'll never be resurrected. This plan could never work. Now, the Greek word, and I know I don't often do this, the Greek word for this is a very strong word. It's not a whisper word. It's not something that you mumble. It's an emphatic never. The Greek word is actually ume, and it's a double negative. You know, it's not even grammatically correct what Peter is saying because he's so confident that he knows what God is going to do in his life that he says not only never, but watch this, never, no, never. You know, I used to say this all the time about the way that I would raise my kids until I had one. You know, I used to say, like, never, I'll never be the kind of dad who screams at his kids that way, you know? Never, oh, I would never, because what good would it do to discipline my kids from the anger that would only create fear? And God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And I will never discipline my kids in a spirit which contradicts the very nature of God that I seek to represent. And I will never, you know, I want to be a good, good father, and I want to give them an accurate representation of their father in heaven. And so I'll always correct them from a posture of love. I will never raise my voice, but I would I try to correct them in the same spirit that I'm trying to correct. I will always discipline them in a way that will show them that while their behavior may be unacceptable, you, your identity and my love for you will always be eternal secure. Now i got to make a confession. I already yell at my kids so much, and she's only 18 months. Say never, no, never. Now I'm well aware 
that there are many people watching today that are in this situation right now that you never thought you'd find yourselves in. Other people's marriages may fall apart, but my marriage never. We will wash each other's feet in the name of our risen Lord. And I would never talk to my husband that way. No, never. I never. I would never struggle with that. I don't know how somebody could get hooked on something like that. I just don't get people like that. I would never, never. Ooh, may. You may meet. Never. I don't get people who struggle with depression. I've got the joy of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. The Bible says, give thanks in all things, in all circumstances, in all means all. Alex, rejoice in him. In the Lord, I will rejoice. This is the thing that the Lord has made. I don't understand people until something happens in your life that knocks you off. I'm going to be careful of what I judge others for today because it might be knocking on my door tomorrow. I never thought that I would be dealing with anxiety, but now I can't catch my breath. I never thought that I would think a thought that's that dark. I not that I would think that I would struggle with this. I didn't struggle with it in my teens. I didn't struggle with it in my 20s. And now it came out of nowhere. Never, no, never, never, ever, 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 never, never. And Peter said that another time. And sadly, this was kind of his thing, you know. He's sitting at the the table with the Lord at the Passover meal where Jesus was telling them, now this is my body that's broken for you. And he's talking symbolically about something he's going to do practically in 24 hours and they can't comprehend it. And he's telling them, not only am I going to die and bleed like this for you, but actually all of you aren't going to be able to take it. And your faith will fail and you'll walk away. One of you is going to betray me, not saying any names, it's Judas, but the rest of you, don't get too judgmental because none of you are going to be there at the cross when it happens. You were there when I was feeding the bread, but when the bread is broken, you'll fall away, all of you. And what did Peter say about that? You might be surprised. Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never Jesus, not me. You know, when I first started preaching, I asked a pastor friend of mine a question. I was studying the Bible and trying to understand the miracles because some of the stuff in there is just really hard to accept at face value. Some really crazy stuff in the Bible, like dead people just getting up out of the ground. And my faith wanted to believe, but my mind was contradicting it. So I asked this pastor, do you ever have doubts? And he emphatically said, no, never. I asked him, like, you mean you've never dealt the Bible? And he said, no, never. And it was only recently that I found out that this person who was no-nevering is actually out of the ministry. Because sometimes it's the people who will not acknowledge their weakness that are most susceptible to it. And really, God put in my heart to preach to people today, and this may not be you and it's okay, that are in a situation where you never thought you'd struggle with what you're struggling with. You watched other people struggle with it, but you never thought that you would. What do you do when you find yourself in a situation that you swore you'd never be in? That you never imagined that you'd be in? What resurrection does is it challenges my concept of never. It challenges my expectation of never because what it shows me is although I've never seen somebody get up from the ground before after being buried, that when God says never, it's different than when I say never. And so what God wants to challenge this Easter Sunday morning is my understanding of what's possible. 
my understanding of what could never happen, my understanding because there are many things that many of us here have given up on in our hope. And, and the word that's been spoken over our lives is never, you know, you'll never be happy like they are. You'll never be free from this. Your mom wasn't free. Her mom wasn't free. What makes you think it's possible for you? You are never going to connect. You are never going to love again. You are never going to heal from this. You will never recome from that fall. You will never rebuild your reputation. You will never happen for you. But heaven comes and speaks a different never. And watch this. I want to show you another never. And this never doesn't come from the mouth of Peter. This never comes from the mouth of God. And it's in Hebrews 13, verse 5. And to all my Easter people that are sitting at home in your PJs to get ready to shout on this, because after you've been all, through all the hell that hell can throw at you, after you've survived the worst possible assault on your faith, on your mind, on your sanity, after people have left you and circumstances have drained you of all your human energy, there still remains a promise of God in his word. And this is not Peter's prediction. This is God's promise. And he said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. They might, but I won't. Never, no, never. I will never. I've been with you since the beginning and I'll be with you to the end. Will I withdraw my love from you? No, never. When will I change my mind about you? Never, no, never. When will I walk away and give up my plans that I have for you? Never, no, never. When God says never, it's a different kind of never. People may change their mind about my potential, but he never will. And this is a different level of hope. This is not the kind of hope that's plastic. You know, we have these great uh, little plastic Easter eggs, these pink little Easter eggs. You know, they're bright and they're pretty, but they're plastic and they're hollow. Can I tell you something, Light City, on this resurrection morning? My hope is not hollow. My hope is not empty. My hope is not plastic. My hope is not circumstantial. Romans 5, chapter 5, verse 3 says that I hope in the glory of God. That's different from hoping in the praises of men. That's different than hoping in the kindness of life or the peaceability of circumstances. My hope, watch this, my hope is hard-boiled. My hope has been through the fire. My hope has been through hell. My hope has been disappointed, and my hope has found a way back. And watch this, even if it cracks on the surface, it's still good on the inside. Why? I have a living hope. It's Easter, and he's risen this morning. So he showed me on the cross how to deal with the penalty of my sin. But that's not all he showed me. He showed me how to deal with my giants, to let me know that the suffering of the present time isn't worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed. He didn't change his mind about Peter. When he says never, church, he means never. When he says always, he means always because it says that while Christ died, while we were still sinners, not on the basis of my performance, but on the basis of his purpose. And nothing can pluck you from his hand, and nothing can erase your name from his heart. And I declare over your life today that God has not changed his mind about you, and your pain, can, your pain cannot negate it, and your mistakes cannot cancel it. Whatever the pain, whatever the name of the pain that you came in with today, I know a name that's greater than the name of your pain. I know a name that's greater than your shame. And while we were still sinners, he saw what he put in you. You know, many people died on a cross at this time in Jesus' life when he was crucified. 
There's nothing different about his cross. It was what he did with his cross that he endured it for the joy set before him, scorning the shame and set down at the right hand of the Father. Now I want to give an invitation for people. You know, he drew you here. Jesus drew you here because he wanted you to know that there is potential in you that will only become real as you trust in him and surrender to his way. And this is your moment to do it. So with everybody's heads bowed, I know that we're not together, but let's take a moment of just privacy and concentration, just wherever you are. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, you know, at this church, we pray a prayer for the sake of those who are far from God and are coming into a relationship with him. And we pray it out loud as a church family, and I'm going to ask that you would do this. And if your heart is beating today and you know that this is God, this is God, this is your moment where God is calling your name, I want to lead you in a prayer. Now I'm just going to ask that you would simply repeat after me, because the Bible says that it's an expression of our faith, that when we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe it in our hearts, that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved, not by works, but through faith, by grace. At this moment, I believe Jesus is calling. So their heads bowed and their eyes closed. Let's pray together as a church. One, many locations, but one family. Pray this prayer after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner and I need a savior. I believe that Jesus died 2,000 years ago to pay the penalty for my sin. I accept him now as my Savior and my Lord. Holy Spirit, I invite you to live in me, to lead me, to guide me into my true, full potential. And I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.